This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. We've been featured by Apple as the number one podcast for conscious consumers, and we can't wait to welcome you into our community of changemakers. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. We're the founders of Brightly.eco, the new platform for conscious consumers. We believe in supporting all creatures, great and small. And our team of experts show you how to live and shop responsibly by sharing world-changing lifestyle ideas, products, and more. To read show notes from Good Together and to browse all of the planet-friendly goodness that we feature, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And to help spread the word about the podcast, tap on this episode and share Good Together with your friends and family. A simple text message helps us grow and create change around the world. time again, you texted, emailed, and DM'd us for our take on a planet-friendly way to purchase our tried and tested Brightly favorites. Because while the world of conscious consumerism is exploding, making mindful, planet-friendly purchases can still be a challenge. That's where the Brightly shop comes in. To reduce some of the eco-overwhelm, every product we sell has been hand-picked and vetted by the Brightly team. You won't find anything in the shop that has less than five stars. We've gone through hundreds of eco-products to discover new and emerging brands that solve sustainability problems for you every day. We even designed our own products like beeswax wraps to keep things fun and to help you live brightly. So how do we help you shop sustainably? The shop launches on the first Monday of each month and is open for five days. So the shorter, planet-friendly shopping window allows us to only order what we need. After the shop closes, we pack and ship out products in bulk. This low-impact supply chain reduces waste and keeps the planet happy. Brightly is also climate neutral certified. Because we are committed to climate action, we have set our entire carbon footprint from operations to shipping. We believe in the power of collective change, and we are so glad you're joining us on this journey. Go to shop.brightly.eco to see what's in store. Use code GOODTOGETHER at checkout to receive two free hand-blown, ethically made wine glasses with any purchase. Simply add the wine glasses to your cart and apply the code at checkout. Top climate scientists from around the world warned of a code red for humanity in the latest report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, which raised many concerns about greenhouse gas emissions. Transportation is the largest contributor of the United States greenhouse gas emissions, accounting for about 29% of our entire greenhouse gas emissions here in the U.S. So after decades of stalled action on fuel efficiency standards, both fuel efficiency and new vehicle greenhouse gas standards are actually on a path to improve over the next 13 years. So that's some good news we can all be excited about. And in today's episode, I speak with Dan Becker. He's the director of the Safe Climate Transport Campaign. He also has 
many decades of experience in the industry of uh, advocating for greener, cleaner cars. Um, And in this episode, we talk about the future of the transportation industry and its role in climate change. We also talk a lot about the importance of automaker action to make clean cars and how consumers can help shape the future of the automotive industry. Um, If you're going to go shop for a car anytime soon, I highly recommend tuning into this episode. We get into actionable things you can look for. Overall, it was an awesome conversation, so let's get into it. Hi, Good Together listeners. So today we are really excited to welcome Dan Becker to Good Together to chat about how we can all make cleaner, greener transportation a factor in reducing climate change. And so, you know, Dan's actually a graduate of Northeastern University Law School in Hamilton College, and he began his career fighting in Congress for the Clean Air Act, which I'm familiar with. We could probably talk about that a little bit, um, and many other responsible energy policies. Um, He also led the clean car fight beginning in 1989 as the director of Sierra Club's Global Warming and Energy Program. Um, Then he went on to be the director of the Safe Climate Campaign. And right now, Dan is the director of the Safe Climate Transport Campaign at the Center for Biological Diversity. So he's got many, many years of expertise in this topic. And, you know, before we started recording, Dan and I were already getting into some awesome insights. So we're so excited to have you today, Dan. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me on. And um, I'm delighted that there are so many folks listening. (laughs) That's wonderful. So to get us started, I think one thing that's on pretty much everyone's mind if they even know a little bit about what's going on with climate change is the IPCC's latest climate report. And unfortunately, there was a lot of very um, unfortunate things coming out of that report from a negative perspective of what's going on in the world. I mean, it was super important to get this information out, but you know, unfortunately, it wasn't great. So what were some of the most eye-opening takeaways for you when it came to reading that report? Um, well, first of all, uh, the IPCC is is this group of the world's leading climate scientists uh, who have been gathered by the UN, and they um, essentially study all of the data, all of the uh, scientific um, uh, studies and reports, and then summarize them every few years. And this this is one of these years. Um, so, I guess the, the 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 things that got folks' attention were their the scientists essentially stepped out of their usual role of um, describing and began to prescribe. So um, for years, we've heard scientists saying, well, you know, uh, here's what happens if you add too much carbon dioxide pollution to the atmosphere, you will have more droughts and floods and wildfires and more severe hurricanes. And in this report, they say all of that stuff that they've projected before is happening But the most exciting thing and the most fascinating thing for me is that they changed their role. And they basically said, look, you haven't been listening to us uh, when we've warned that these things would happen. Now they're already happening. And now we're going to tell you, you got to you got to get your butts in gear. You you have to take action. And um, that is critical uh, if we're going to get um, uh, if if we're going to leave our uh, ourselves and our children a climate that is safe to live in for most people. Um, so I, I think that was the the most fascinating um, uh, eye opener for me in this report. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of bad news about um, 
uh, how scientists can now find the fingerprints of global warming in individual wildfires or storms. Uh, that in other words, they've linked back the pollution in the atmosphere to making a hurricane a four category four instead of a category one, or to make a wildfire uh, engulf 100,000 acres instead of um, a much smaller area. So uh, a, a lot of what uh, this report um, has been described, a lot of folks have, have described this report as a wake-up call, uh, and, and it is. Um, and the fact that's most fascinating to me is that the scientists have finally said, all right, we're going to start telling you what to do because you haven't been listening. Yeah. And I mean, I think that take on this report is, is, is so fascinating, right? Because we've heard a lot of, um, you know, chatter about specific points made in the report. And I think obviously that's very valuable and important for us to dig into. But you're right. The fact that the scientists have kind of said, you know what, we can't afford to just sit on the sidelines anymore. Like we're going to actually roll up our sleeves and, and give people, um, you know, really specific things that we need to do. And, you know, so we're not going to, we won't go, we could have a whole entire podcast about that report. So we're not going to go <laughs> into it now, in detail now, listeners, but we highly recommend checking it out. Um, and so one of the things, if we can even kind of set the stage a little bit for, for the listeners. So um, Dan and I was just chatting a second ago about really how all of this sort of came to be. If we think about the way consumers view carbon emissions, um, because obviously carbon emissions are a huge, um, you know, factor in climate change. They, they show up frequently in that IPCC report. So before we even get into sort of the nuts and bolts behind things like the Clean Air Act and electric cars, I wonder if you can kind of help us understand how we got here from a consumer perspective as it relates to carbon emissions. Sure. Um, so two thirds of the carbon emissions, the carbon dioxide uh, that causes most of global warming, roughly 80% of the global warming problem is attributable to carbon dioxide pollution. Uh, most of that comes from burning uh, fossil fuels in our vehicles and our power plants. So, um, you know, electricity doesn't come out of a hole in the wall. It comes out of a big factory with big smokestacks that burn some fossil fuel in most cases, um, and uh, cars, of course, run on gasoline that you pour in one end and it gets burned by the engine and the carbon dioxide is uh, put out through the tailpipe. Uh, and um, the, the volumes that are involved are really shocking. Um, for every gallon of gas we burn, 25 pounds of carbon dioxide is pumped into the atmosphere. And you don't think of the gas as weighing anything. It's the volumes of the gas that are, are causing the problems here. Um, so um, burning fewer gallons, uh, wh whether in a car or uh, uh, fewer gallons of oil or fewer tons of coal in a power plant or tons of natural gas in a power plant, uh, is really critical. Um, and it, over, over a year, an average car uh, it, it emits several tons of carbon dioxide pollution. Um, so yes, of course, consumers can make a difference. They can make a difference by driving a more efficient vehicle rather than a gas guzzler. Sure. Uh, a, a sedan instead of an SUV or pickup truck. Uh, because uh, again, the number of gallons burned is what really matters. Yep. But what really matters 
is that uh, we press our government to require that the companies that make the products make them better. Uh, so uh, you, can, you can go out and buy a uh, 13 mile per gallon gas guzzling SUV, uh, or you can go across the street and buy an electric car that emits absolutely nothing. Now, yep. yes, we, we have to account for the electricity that is generated by burning fossil fuels that charges that electric car. But the difference between uh, a gas guzzling vehicle and an electric vehicle uh, can be tons and tons of, of pollution per year. So our choices do make a difference. But the most important thing is that we tell the government uh, that they must require that um, uh, automakers and other polluters uh, make their, their products cleaner. And Absolutely. Right, right now, there's a process going on at the federal level where President Biden uh, has said, uh, I, I'm going to undo what President Trump did when he trashed the standards that required more efficient cars. Um, and he is now writing a new set of, of um, requirements for the automakers. And this is auto mechanics, not rocket science. Exactly. All the <laughs> auto companies have the technology, better engines, better transmissions, improved aerodynamics to make vehicles go further on a gallon of gas or to make electric vehicles. And we're just beginning to see those um, in the market. But the auto companies really don't want to make those. They want to make what they've always made. They want yep. to make the big gas guzzling uh, behemoth that they can stick a lot of stuff on that, that you are willing to pay more money for, like butt warmers. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How many decades uh, did Americans drive vehicles without butt warmers and manage to survive? Mm -hmm. And of course, how many eons have we gotten by without um, uh, gas guzzling vehicles? Um, so the, the, the kinds of decisions that President Biden and, and the EPA make in the next few weeks are going to be critical to whether we have the opportunity to buy cleaner vehicles or whether we're going to be stuck with whatever the auto companies make the biggest profit on. And just as one example, the Cadillac Escalade, which is a General Motors uh, SUV, uh, makes them $35,000 pure profit on every one they sell. And therefore, it is the most advertised vehicle on, on TV and oh, other media. So... Um, the, the auto company, and when was the last time you saw an ad for an electric vehicle? That's true. That's very true. I mean, uh, you, you, you know, you see a lot of these car companies coming out and advertising that their non-electric vehicles have been made, quote unquote, more planet friendly. But of course, that's a very vague term and you can't, it's very unclear from the ad what they're actually talking about. So you're right. I've not seen a lot of electric vehicle <laughs> and, advertisements. And so, well, it's, it's easy to tell whether, whether a particular vehicle is clean or not because a new vehicle is sold with a window sticker. Okay. And the window sticker, which is approved by the EPA, says how many miles per gallon this particular vehicle gets. And in the small print, they translate that into tons of pollution per vehicle. So you can compare this truck versus that truck. And by truck, I mean SUV or pickup because they're defined as truck uh, under, under the federal rules, which also is a loophole in, in the rules that the auto companies lobbied for that allows them to pollute more than a car would. A car is basically a sedan. Oh, and interesting. Auto, most of the auto companies and all the American auto companies have now essentially stopped making sedans. The old-fashioned car mm. that we grew up with yep. is now has morphed into a much larger and much less efficient um, 
SUV or pickup. And it's funny it's that you say that, car. right? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely have noticed less smaller cars on the, the the road. And it's just interesting that that, of course, there's going to be some some reason behind that. But that's very fascinating, Dan, that you brought it up that way. And of course, it, you know, listeners, this sticker that Dan's talking about when you go to a you know car dealership or you're, you know, looking at cars in person, et cetera. That's a really fabulous thing to look for. I, I didn't know to look for that either. So that's great. Um, so one thing that I thought was interesting that we kind of just now touched on was the PR angle of all of this. And I feel like, of course, we absolutely need to be holding these car companies accountable and, you know, we need to be pushing for greater government regulation. And that's really going to, I think, be the theme of this podcast, because like you said, there's, there's things we can do as consumers, but there's also things we need that are, you know, required of the greater systems at play. But I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about like how the car companies have tried to make it more of a consumer problem rather they've tried to shift the blame, if you will, how they've been doing this throughout history. Well, they do a couple of things and obviously we've all seen ads for vehicles um, and they tend to advertise the most uh, profitable vehicles like the Cadillac Escalade um, and, and others that may, um, may, may not be good for the planet, but are good for the, the, the profits of, of the car companies. Yep. The other thing that, that has happened over time uh, it is you've seen the term carbon footprint sometimes. And the carbon footprint sounds like, oh, well, that, that just shows me uh, as a guide to what kinds of activities I can have that will have an impact on, on the planet and on global warming. It turns out that the whole concept of a carbon footprint was developed uh, by a PR firm at the behest of a major oil company. Uh, British Petroleum, BP. And the purpose of it was to make you and me feel as if we're responsible for the pollution so that BP and other oil companies and auto companies and coal companies and power plants aren't blamed. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's a really key thing for us to understand. Um, you know, it's not just you know, the fact that we've all been exposed to this over the past few years, this is something that's been happening for decades. And so to really wrestle the um, conversation, I think, back to where it needs to matter is difficult. And so I think that's extremely, extremely important. Um, and, you know, as it relates to current initiatives that are going on, um, you know, I think it's so important for us to continue to just be very thoughtful in the information we're consuming, whether or not it's coming from a car company, an ad, or, um, you know, potentially reports that are put out by NGOs. And so we talked a little bit earlier about the Clean Air Act. I wonder if we can talk about kind of existing um, responsible energy policies that we have here in the United States that potentially can help, um, you know, and, and so the one that I'm the most familiar with is the Clean Air Act. You talked a little bit about some initiatives that are coming out potentially from the Biden administration, but I wonder, as you were so instrumental, I think, in advocating for it, if you can tell our listeners a little bit about what the Clean Act Air is, was, and sort of how that all came about. Sure. Um, so the Clean Air Act um, was originally passed uh, in, in around 1970, um, when it was, um, after Earth Day, when it was clear that um, the, the air was getting to be unhealthy to breathe. Um, and um, I grew up in a city, I could look out of my window and I could, could literally see the pollution in the atmosphere. And, and you can still see it 
uh, if you look at the horizon uh, from a higher, uh, uh, from any elevation, even an airplane, you can see this purple layer right above the, the surface of the, of, of the land. And that is um, smog pollution, uh, mostly, that has built up uh, from mostly cars, but also factories and power plants. Um, the Clean Air Act was designed to um, tackle the air pollution problem and to protect our health and in some cases to protect uh, beautiful places like the Grand Canyon. So you could see across it. Um, the, the, the versions that I worked on um, uh, expanded the coverage of the Clean Air Act so that it now protects us from acid rain that destroys forests. It uh, tries to limit the smog that um, is threatening to our health and causes and exacerbates lung diseases like asthma. Um, and it also is designed to reduce toxic air pollutants. Some of the chemical plant emissions uh, and uh, power plant emissions that um, can, can trap uh, uh, chemicals in your lungs uh, and cause severe Ill illness and, and injury. Um, and then finally, uh, carbon dioxide and other um, greenhouse gases, global warming gases, They're, all of these are emitted into the air. And so the Clean Air Act's purpose is to limit the amount of uh, pollution that is excreted into the air and try to clean it up. Uh, and so uh, what President Biden has the authority to do under the Clean Air Act is um, order that the car companies put better technology on vehicles, uh, order that they begin to make more and more electric vehicles that don't pollute at all. Um, and um, by doing that, he will improve our health. He will improve the, um, uh, the, the safety of the climate for the longer term. Uh, and because these pollutants, which come out of the same tailpipe, cause multiple problems, um, it, it's sort of a one-stop, the Clean Air Act is a one-stop shop for um, cleaning up these problems, whether it's uh, acid rain or smog or uh, greenhouse gas pollution. When you think about reducing your carbon footprint, your mind probably goes to reducing the amount of meat you eat or conserving energy in your home. While both of those can make an impact, another method that doesn't get nearly enough attention is greening your finances. A 2020 report found that 35 of the world's biggest banks have given $3.8 trillion to fossil fuel companies since 2016. If your bank doesn't have the same values as you do, there's no better time than now to make the switch to Aspiration. Aspiration is an online banking alternative that offers socially conscious and sustainable ways to spend and save so you can make money while making the world a better place. And unlike the big banks, Aspiration doesn't use your deposits to fund oil pipelines or exploration. We love that Aspiration is a big corp and 1% for the planet member. They also give you the option to plant a tree with every single purchase. With Aspiration Plus, you can earn $200 when you spend $1,000 in the first 60 days of the account opening. You also get 10% cashback when shopping with Aspiration's conscious coalition partners, such as Brightly. Ready to make the switch to Aspiration? Head to aspiration.com forward slash Brightly. That's A-S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N.com forward slash brightly to learn more about socially conscious finance and sign up for a new cash management account.
Aspiration Financial LLC member SIPC, Aspiration is not a bank and is not affiliated with Brightly. Awesome. No, that, that's a great primer on it. And, um, you know, I was, I'm excited to kind of see how it's evolved throughout the years. And, you know, I'm curious to know if there's any other sort of pending legislation. I know you mentioned, um, you know, what, what uh, the Biden administration is doing, but if there are any other types of um, bills that are trying to get passed that might have adjacent impacts on this issue, right? So, um, you know, maybe they're not specifically targeting, um, you know, vehicle emissions, but they might have downstream impacts on the car companies. I'm curious if you know of anything else that we might be interested in. Well, there are lots of um, ideas, most of which will not pass Congress because it's so badly divided. Yes. <laughs> um, but um, th- there are a couple of things that are on the agenda that, that might happen. Um, in the, um, the basically the big budget bill, uh, the, the spending bill uh, that, that President Biden has proposed, um, he proposes to install uh, electric vehicle chargers uh, by the hundreds of thousands. Uh, and obviously, the purpose of that is to make sure that that when the, the automakers finally make electric vehicles, that there will be charging stations to charge them up. We have 270 something thousand gas stations in the United States, but only a relative handful of uh, electric vehicle chargers. So that needs to catch up and it needs to happen fast. Um, there are proposals for various taxes uh, uh, that would uh, disadvantage polluting and advantage um, uh cleaner living. Uh, I don't think any of this is going to pass sure. uh, anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, Congress just doesn't, uh, they, they have an allergy to taxes. Um, and then there are various other uh, proposals to uh, to make big leaps in, in controlling carbon dioxide. But uh, currently, uh, you know, half of Congress doesn't even admit that global warming is a problem. Uh, and so I don't think any of those is, is likely to pass anytime soon. For sure. Well, it's really, it's, it's a, it's great to hear from you in terms of, you know, what's ongoing, what's been passed, what priorities exist in the current administration. And I totally agree. I mean, until we get more of our elected officials on board to the actual idea of climate change, which is crazy that we have to even do that. (laughs) um, You know, the, the, the progress I think is going to be stalled a little bit. So if we can kind of close. I mean, we, we want to have a few more questions here, but if we can kind of wrap up and think a little bit more about how, you know, consumers can, can come back. So, you know, they can, they can absolutely elect officials who care about these issues. They can stay on top of some of these bills, um, you know, initiatives going on at their local levels as well. But for somebody who is maybe in the market for a new vehicle, um, what would you tell them? I'm sure you probably get this question all the time, right? Like, what should I be looking for as a consumer when I go out to purchase a vehicle? Should I be, um, you know, potentially looking for something that is, you know, always electric? Should I look for a hybrid vehicle? Um, Obviously, these things are going to change a little bit based on my budget and preferences. But I wonder if you have any tips you tell for people um, when they're when they embark on this journey. Sure. The overall um, uh, piece of advice is um, buy the most efficient vehicle that meets your needs. If you have to drive across country twice a week, an electric vehicle isn't for you now. It may be in a few years, but not yet. Um, but maybe you could buy a hybrid um, that would that you know is gas and electric, uh, much more efficient than a non-hybrid version of the same vehicle. Um, 
please avoid SUVs. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, SUVs and pickup trucks are the most polluting, the most inefficient vehicles. Um, and um, most of them uh, really don't haul much more than a Starbucks uh, uh, latte. Um, they're not, if, if, if you need to haul hay, sure, then get a pickup truck. But if all you're doing is hauling your kids back and forth to school and, and home, maybe you don't need one. Yes, um, I grew up in Texas and that, <laughs> there were quite <laughs> a lot of people who had pickup trucks that didn't necessarily need them. Now, of course, there were ranchers as well, but not quite in suburban Dallas. So I, I, I definitely identify with that one. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, again, the, the, the number of gallons of vehicle um, burns uh, is, is what's critical. So reducing... Um, improving the efficiency of the vehicle, looking at that label, um, uh, you can look up on the uh, fueleconomy.gov, fueleconomy.gov website, uh, comparisons between different vehicles that you're considering to see how much they pollute um, and how much they guzzle. Okay. Uh, And of course, remember that um, buying a more efficient vehicle saves you money at the gas pump. Uh, so that it, it pays for its the, the better technology pays for itself in just a few uh, years of driving. Um, and then there are also tax credits for efficient vehicles at the federal level. Um, there's a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit for an electric vehicle. Uh, there are also states that have tax credits so that the purchase price uh, will, will be lower than it would be without those big tax credits. Um, and within the next few years, as the costs of electric vehicles come down, it will be cheaper to buy an electric vehicle than to buy a gasoline-powered twin of that vehicle, uh, because the, the cost of batteries are, are falling rapidly, and the cost of gas is not. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. That's exactly what we want to hear. Another tip that we have, too, is for people to look for used vehicles that are electric. So I remember when I was newly out of college um, and looking for a vehicle myself, I wanted just an amazing electrical car, electric car, and I couldn't find one, but I was able to find a hybrid um, that was used. And for me, that felt like a really good purchase. But so, you know, there's a bunch of different ways you can get creative when you think about going out to buy that vehicle. But I really like the the idea to compare them, like you just mentioned, Dan. So like, come up with a list of needs that you have, go ahead and check out that fuel efficiency. And I think it's something that you can feel really good about. Um, so in general, um, you know, as we think about small steps that we can take on a daily basis to fight against global warming, what are other sort of transportation-related actions that consumers can do? Well, you can definitely um, make fewer trips or combine trips. So yes. if you're going out, rather than make three separate trips, um, just decide, okay, I'm going to leave a little early for this one, and on the way I'll pick up that, and on the way I'll back I'll do that. Um, another thing, of course, is uh, if you can avoid avoid driving, um, that's even better. Uh, there are such things as bicycles. There are such things as feet. Um, and to the extent that you use those instead of a, a gas guzzling vehicle uh, saves the planet and will also save you money. Um, th- there are also um, uh, mass transit uh, in, in lots of places. And, um, you know, I recognize that COVID is, is a scary thing. And Many people may not want to get on uh, a crowded uh, bus or, or train at the moment, but um, w- when uh, when the uh, <clears throat> the vaccination rate increases and people uh, can safely uh, sit next to one another, uh, mass transit is uh, is a very clean way of uh, getting around. Absolutely, and I agree. I mean, COVID, of course, has 
had very large impacts on the way that we all get around, right? Like I know that we all were, um, you know, viewers of the photos of, um, you know, just just smog and things decreasing around the world because people were stuck at home and they weren't even in the process of moving around. I think on the other side of things, like you just mentioned, folks that used to take buses, trains, et cetera, all of a sudden either were no longer able to because those systems were operating at reduced capacity, or even now, um, depending on where you're located and sort of the the rate of vaccination, the requirement of masks or whatever, they still kind of give people the you know, hesitation of using them. And so that's one thing that I'm hopeful that as the country, you know, tries to come out of the pandemic and, and gets off to a better place that we can kind of get back to. Because I remember um, I was in the Bay Area for, for a while before I moved back here to Seattle, where I'm located now. And of course, when the when the pandemic kicked off, I had been so used to using the, um, you know, the, the local uh, rail system, and it was just completely shut down. So anyway, I think, um, you know, obviously, all of the tips that we give our listeners are to be taken with, um, you know, the, the most practicality that they can be given your current circumstances. But I love the fact that we've all kind of experienced a world where we aren't maybe as reliant on our cars to get everywhere for every single, um, <laughs> every single trip to the point that you just made. So, um, I think also, we could, don't, don't okay, forget the internet. <laughs> yes, true. Well, yeah, the, the, elaborate on that a little bit. <laughs> sure. I mean, one of the most polluting things that most people do is get in a vehicle and drive to the mall and buy something. If yep. you can, uh, instead buy it online, uh, the delivery system, the, the route that the delivery truck takes is, designed by computer to be the most efficient driving uh, that is possible. So um, that same product, whatever you buy, if delivered uh, from an online order, will get you much more, get to you much more cleanly than if you go yourself and and pick it up. Um, And of course you save gas along the way. We talk about that all the time. We actually have a whole episode um, of this podcast dedicated to comparing online shopping versus in person. So I love that you mentioned that. The other thing I'll mention too is like, you know, one thing that I think is just such a common thread of conscious consumerism is that oftentimes these more um, efficient ways of uh, selling things or getting things to you come from a purely profit-driven margin, right? Like, why did the computers, uh, why were they created, did the computerized maps created to get things to you efficiently? Well, because somebody's job is to watch that bottom line when it comes to gas expenditure and expenditure on employees from an hourly basis doing the driving. So, they might not have designed those maps to be the most eco-friendly, but they end up being that as a nice byproduct. So an interesting fact that often can happen um, when hopefully um, those incentives are aligned across the board, right? (laughs) And and I think that's exactly true. And the problem is that in many cases, the incentives aren't aligned. That's that's right. That's when we need the government to step in and say, you know, guys, uh, in, in industry, we need you to do this, and we're going to require that no vehicles that are less efficient than this can be sold in, in, in the United States. And that's where we've got to go. And, and we have a voice as both consumers and as citizens uh, and, and just occupants of a place uh, that our leaders are required to at least hear us. Yes. Uh, they don't have to act on what we do necessarily, but they do have, have to listen 
And so write a letter to your uh, member of Congress or your state legislators or your governor. Uh, write to the president. Uh, uh, write letters to the editor of a local paper, because although you may not know a lot of people who read letters to the editor, every member of Congress does. It's a free poll for them that they can use to gauge this, the sentiment of, of their electors. So um, be noisy. Get out there. Tell people what you think. Their job is to listen to you. And um, if, if you tell them how much you care about global warming, that you want them to take responsible actions, you want them to, to require that, that more efficient and cleaner products, including cars, be made, they will at least hear it and uh, take it into account when they vote. Absolutely. Well, Dan, this was such a fabulous conversation. Like I said, we could probably talk about this for two more hours, <laughs> but I'm glad that we we're able to touch on a few points that I think our listeners are going to find really interesting and actionable. Um, so thank you so much. And listeners, you will find links to all of the things we discussed in our show notes that are available at brightly.eco slash podcast. Um, but Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Joining us on another episode of Good Together. As always, you can get show notes and explore lots more content related to all things eco-friendly living by checking out brightly.eco slash podcast. And don't forget to join in on the conversation that's happening on our Facebook group. Simply search Good Together Ethical Shopping and it'll come up. You can also leave us a question through voicemail. The link is on brightly.eco slash podcast. If you're into social media, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, and all of the channels. Our username is brightly.eco. Finally, we want to leave you with a reminder. Every day is a chance for you to create change, and you're already covered for today since you joined us here on the podcast. Stay kind and live brightly.